Please open your Bibles. This morning, the Bible reading is going to be a a number of excerpts from John chapter 6. So open your Bibles to John chapter 6, and Wayne will be teaching from that this morning. The Apostle John's biography of Jesus. Uh, So John tells us that he wrote this book, and here's the reason. So that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So I'll be reading excerpts from John chapter 6. In this chapter, John is detailing things that Jesus did and things that he said in the northern part of Israel, by the Sea of Galilee, in and around the village of Capernaum. Uh, Wayne and I have had the privilege of visiting the village of Capernaum. It's a beautiful little town. It's not a very big area. And these events that we're about to read occur over two days and one night. I'll be starting from verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following, following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign... They exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works also. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. Verse 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven. But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. And I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven and anyone who eats this bread will live forever and this bread which I will offer so that the world may live, it's my flesh. 
Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Thank you very much, Julie. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. It's been fantastic to be together and hear those, hear the testimonies of uh, the people that were, were baptized. I want to focus our attention this morning around something that I've come to see is the biggest question that every single person has to answer. And the question is, who is Jesus? I, I believe that is the core question. And the way that we answer that question, so much of what we decide and how we live our lives flows from the answer that we give to that question. Who is Jesus? Uh, who, is, who do I understand him to be? Of course, there's a range of opinions. Many of you will be aware of these. Uh, around the place and if you talk with people you hear various things uh, one of the things that I sometimes hear particularly in this region of Fremantle uh, I hear that well Jesus is one of the ascended masters anyone ever heard that one come from people around here that's that is one that they they consider him to be uh, one of the range of options of the ascended masters of which they call. Uh, another one is that people say, well, uh, Jesus was a, was a great teacher. He was a great moral teacher. How many of you have heard that one? Yep, you have heard that one. Right? So let me just um, say that uh, I don't think he's either of those, uh, straight up. And, and let me read to you a section from uh, a well-known Irish atheist, C.S. Lewis 
who made a very careful and detailed examination of Jesus and he recorded this in several of his books, including his book, Mere Christianity. Here's what he wrote. It's quite a long quote, so stay with me. It's worth sticking through to the end. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. After uh, making very careful examination of Jesus, after like I said, living for many years as an atheist, but then someone began a conversation with him that caused him to examine Jesus for himself rather than just taking in the sort of the cultural vibe, if you like, that was around him. Here's what Lewis wrote. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And here he says this. This is what people say that he, Lewis says, this is the foolish thing that people often say. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis goes on to say, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Lewis goes on and says, he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Lewis says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to so who is Jesus is this core question uh, that every single person has to answer and it's you these are some of the choices as I said he's either a liar a lunatic or his lord and we've heard from John's gospel this morning the apostle John and his biography about Jesus and he very clearly says at the end of that book These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. It's a great statement. So John's very clear. If you read John's biography of Jesus' life, John wants you to get to the end and and be very clear about, I was motivated to communicate to you the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God. He's God incarnate, God in a body. And that by believing in him, you will have the power of his name. Since I've been a teenager, I've spoken with many people about Jesus. And I've consistently found people who like Jesus. Or at least they like the idea they have of Jesus. 
I've met so many people who are so committed to the idea that they have about Jesus that when you ask them, have you ever read any of the biographies about him from the people that were closest to him? Have you ever looked and examined the teachings? Have you ever actually understood the things he claimed about himself? And invariably, people say they have not. When I ask them, what do you know about what Jesus said or taught, They sometimes, I could summarize it like this. They said, well, Jesus said, be nice to people, love people. And I said, well, yes, he did say things like that, but there's a whole truckload of things behind that that you really want to get a handle on because that was worthless if you didn't love God. His starting point was love God in the declaration that he, in fact, was God. So this morning, I want to ask you, who is Jesus? What answer have you given? And perhaps you have got people that you're interacting with in your workplace who you might want to ask this question to as well. It's an interesting season that we're in, in the world. And there, in my local shopping center, there's a nativity scene set up. We've got a Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. That's all. There's not much other information. So if you didn't have any clue and you were walking past, you're like, oh, why have they stuck those people in a glass box? You might want to use that to open up a conversation. So John, come back to John's biography. From the very beginning, John is laying out line upon line of evidence about Jesus and he's saying actually Jesus is the one true and only God. He begins at the very beginning of his book by declaring that Jesus is the God who created the universe, that in the very beginning he was there. He goes on, he says Jesus is the God who rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so he builds his case progressively as he goes through the book and the weight of evidence is again, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, there's no other option John leaves open for people he doesn't leave the great moral teacher option open he doesn't leave the lunatic option open the liar option open the only option in John puts out for all of us is that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God well John 6 is a fascinating period uh, chapter and um, if you you know the things that Julie read to us earlier There's these conflicting opinions about Jesus and people are exploring him and wanting to, they're hanging around him. And, and, you know, John 6 opens with this scene, which we didn't have time to read, where Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish that a young boy donates. He donates his lunch to Jesus and says, I'm not sure what you can do with this, but I'm willing. And he gives it to you. So there's a little side note on that. When I was about nine or 10 years old and the church that I was growing up in, uh, we put on a play called The Boy Who Caught the Fish. And guess who was the boy? <laughs> Me. So I don't think I got many other gigs after that, but, um, you know, it's my brief moment of fame in the church uh, thing, lead role in that play. Anyway, so here we've got Jesus feeding 5,000 men, hungry men, 
plus women and children. And they're all clamoring over each other to be near Jesus. That's how the chapter opens. But then you get all the way down to the end, which we got to today, and you find it's a much smaller group. And that group, ten, you know, more, we think there's more than 15,000 people, have, have been whittled down to Jesus' closest disciples, the 12, who are resolute and wholehearted about him. And one of the things you find when you study the life of Jesus, and I encourage all of you to do that, even if you think you're familiar and know it, is to see how consistently Jesus refuses to play with the crowds, play to the crowds, right? And we see that very clearly in this chapter. He, they, he's fed them, and there's a murmur going through the crowd. This is the guy. This is the guy that's going to liberate Israel from the Roman oppression. Let's, let's crown him as king. And the, John says, what does Jesus do? Wow, well, imagine if you were in that situation. What would you do? You know, and they're going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, they, they're chanting your name. You've got 15,000 people chanting your name. What are you going to do? But Jesus does the thing that none of us probably would do because we're all trying to build our media profile and get the numbers up of the number of followers and the number of likes. He's going off the chart. Jesus actually turns and walks away. And he disappears off into the mountains. And the crowd disperses. And he, yeah. And on it goes. And then the next day, they come looking for him. They can't find him. What's, where's he gone? Well, then they realize there was a boat here. The boat's not here. Oh, it's over that side of the lake. Let's run over there, get over there. And they get to Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, how did you get here? Well, if you read the text, which we didn't read the text, you would know that the disciples had rowed the boat, a storm had come up, and in the middle of the storm, while they're trying to get to the other side of the lake, Jesus, because they got tired of waiting for him to come back from his walk, he's gone on this walk in the middle of the night or in the afternoon, left the crowds behind, and then Jesus, Jesus comes to them and he's walking on the sea. So when the crowd says, Jesus, how'd you get here? Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, I did what God does. I walked on the water. I don't need a boat. I can just walk on the water. He doesn't say that. He refuses again. And instead, he counters with questions. He comes back at them. And I think one of the things that Jesus is really good for all of us is this. He deliberately offends us. He offends our minds to reveal what's in our hearts. Wow. And that's what you see. If you read through John 6, you will see this over and over again. So it goes on. All these kinds of things happen. And he begins to provoke them. And he says, I'm the bread of life. You haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. People are murmuring in disagreement. Jesus replies, stop complaining about what I said. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, you've got to, now these people are going, hang on a minute. We know who you are. You're Joseph's kid. You're Mary's kid. You know, we know you. How can you say I came down from heaven? It's a fairly reasonable question, 
But again, they're being confronted with, this doesn't fit the narrative of what we want to believe about you, Jesus. We don't want you to be saying that. And I think if you're reading through John 6, you see over and over again, Jesus is hammering this point through. He's saying, I am eternal life. Eat and drink me, which is to say, ingest me into your life. Take me into the inner core of your being, just as you do with food and drink. There's lots of symbolism around the bread and the, and the blood that he talks about. Drinking, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And people are arguing about this. And one of the things I want to make really clear this morning to everyone, Jesus is not advocating cannibalism. Just in case you're thinking that, he's not advocating that. That's not what he's on about. It's about taking him in, ingesting him into the very core of our being because what the food that we eat actually becomes part of our cellular structure, does it not? Some of it passes through, some of it becomes. Okay. So there are lots of questions in this chapter. Let me just run through some of them. Whoa, we haven't had any questions up here. Can I have that first slide? Yep, sorry, I thought you'd put it up. Yep. So, you know, people go, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus comes back again, does this offend you? And then he puts this one up to them. What will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? And it's this massive thing that's confronting them with, this is who you think, this is who you want me to be and who you think I am, but I am not that, I am something far greater, someone far greater. And again and again, Jesus confronts us, just as he was confronting the people on that day, he offends our minds to reveal what's really in our hearts. It's a vital thing. If you find yourself reading the Bible and being offended, ask what's going on in your heart. Now, we live in an offended culture, don't we? All the time we are hearing this over and over again. And it's to stop. Anytime, you, even when you, when you hear something being said in the general, you know, in a conversation with people and you're offended, ask yourself, why am I offended? What is it in me that has taken offense at this? Now, I could go a lot of places with that. Oh, wait, I'm going to stay on, stay on point this morning. Anyway, we get to this thing about, at this point, many of Jesus' disciples turned away and deserted to him. Now, and Jesus puts this next question to them. Are you also going to leave? Wow. Picture yourself, you're in Capernaum, by the Sea of Galilee, the day, the day before, Jesus fed 15,000 people. More have come back the next day, they followed, but then by the end, they've just like dispersed. As Jesus has just spoken this truth over and over again, this is who I am, I'm the one that gives you eternal life. You need to believe in me, you need to put your trust in me. And Julie and I have been discipling people to Christ for over 40 years. And we've seen John 6 play out in, uh, many times. Where people come, and I'll put it this way. People come for the Jesus show. You know? So maybe 
you put on an, you put on an event and people come for the show, right? Um, or something happens along those lines. And they clap enthusiastically when the church or Jesus entertains them and Jesus performs for them. You know, multiplies bread. Oh, this is a wonderful show. We'd like to see this again. Jesus will come back tomorrow and you can take some more bread and fish. And wow, see, this will be awesome. We love this show. We love the Jesus show. We're back for more. We're raving fans, all these kind of things. But then what happens is that Jesus refuses to perform for us. Now, many of you have seen this. You've experienced this for yourself. I've seen this work out many times with people who are brand new Christians and, and they'll tell me enthusiastically every time they pray, Jesus answers their prayer. Every pray, every prayer, bang, Jesus answers. And I go, yes, because he's confirming who he is to you. And I wait for that time that inevitably comes I don't have to say anything because I don't have to tell them, but inevitably it comes, they experience something where Jesus disappoints them, where Jesus doesn't seem to do what they think he should do. I've been in that situation. Many of you have been in that situation as well. And it's this thing and we're confronted and the question is put to us, what happens, what will I do when Jesus speaks truth that offends me what will I do when Jesus doesn't do what I want him to do or he doesn't give me what I think he should give me what will I do then or even worse what if Jesus takes something from me or asks me to do something I don't want to do Well, the thing I've found about that is that the price of disobedience is far higher than the price of obedience. That's, that's what I'll put it. So Jesus has asked us several times to do things that were costly, but we've found that the price of disobedience uh, is much higher than the price of obedience. We've never regretted obeying Jesus wholeheartedly. And so the question is, what are we going to do? Are you also going to leave? The question will come. Parents, those of you that um, are here today and your child was baptised, you know that as they grow and mature and go through the different stages of life, they are going to have this question put to them. Because they, they, they will mature as people. They will mature in their thinking. They will mature in their emotions. And, so, and they need to engage with Jesus at every step of the way. So being baptized today was the, not, was the continuation of the journey. It's not the end. It never is for any person that gets baptized unless you get baptized and die the very next day. Um, I've never seen that happen. Um, The understanding that I need to keep growing in knowing who Jesus is and 
deconstructing how I imagine him to be in my mind and lining it up with how he actually is in the Bible as the, as the scriptures tell me he is. And I have can, been confronted with that many, many times. And many of you have as well. And this whole choice of are you also going to leave? And as your children go into teenage years, those of you I'm speaking to, they are going to experience things and the question will be put to them again. Are you going to leave? That would be the question that Jesus asked them. Will you stand with me or will you want to leave? Will you hold fast to what you spoke publicly today? That Jesus is my boss for life. Jesus is my Lord for life. And we keep, we have to keep modeling that. And one of the wonderful things about a Christian church is people who you can um, encourage and, and interact with your children who have followed Jesus and through many seasons of life, they know and are confident in him that he is who he says he is. There's no one else where they can find eternal life and joy and peace and happiness. And so we come to this response from Peter where he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is where we all need to come to, people. And perhaps you've not ever come to this point before in, before in your life. And I want to encourage you today it's to say, wow, you, Jesus, the option of you being a liar or a lunatic or an ascended master or a great moral teacher is no longer open to me. This is now what I'm confronted with. It's you have the words of eternal life and there isn't anywhere else to go. And if you, um, Jesus talks about this. And one of the things that I uh, did a lot was um, because I kept running into people who were, um, who were wanting to, I was wanting to have a conversation with them about Jesus and they were wanting to talk about other religions and how, how could I be convinced that my, my, the, the Jesus of the Bible, and that was the only option, that was the best option of all the options, all the global religions. So I made it my business to go on a search and to bring and to examine and to look at all the major religions and to look at what they say and what the claims that they make on people. And what it found is that uh, there is nowhere else to go. You do not get what you get from Jesus from any other uh, God, any other religion, if you like, in the world. The things that Jesus said, Jesus is not just one amongst the number of gods. When you look at, for, at Jesus, what he claimed about himself, what he said and what he taught, you're left with no other place to go in the place that C.S. Lewis came to. There's no other option open to. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And your response will become this. There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus says this. He says, spend your energy. 
cultivating a heart that's captivated by the beauty of God so that worship, obedience and love of God is unavoidable. He said it much shorter way. He said, spend your energy to find eternal life. But this is what I think is a reasonable adaptation of what he meant in that. It's this thing, being captivated by the beauty of God because you've seen him. People, I want to encourage all of you the, the things change dramatically in the whole world and they are not going back to how it was before. And in the times that are ahead, it's people that have this reality that are going to be, that are going to shine like stars in the darkness of the world. It's not enough. It won't be enough. Uh, to just attend church it never is Uh, it's this deliberate intentional pursuit of cultivating a heart that knows God for who he is not as we imagine him to be but how he really is and we've cultivated a heart that loves him obeys him and worships him that we've allowed him to offend our minds to reveal what's really in our hearts that we really don't want to bow down to him and worship him and embrace him wholeheartedly. We want to keep our options open. We want, you know, some people think about, we want to, we want to you know, somehow keep, keep one foot in Jesus and, and the other foot in our, in our culture. It never works. You become very dissatisfied on both things. The only way is to make it that decision that I will put both feet fully into Christ For the rest of my life, I will learn to love him, obey him and pursue him. I'll find out all that he is and I'll give my allegiance to him. And so this is how I want to finish this morning. We come and we say, Jesus, you give eternal life. I know, and I want to just spend a moment here. I know. It's not like I've got information. It's not that. I've got the information that you are the Holy One of God. It's, I know. I've got a living reality. I know you are the Holy One of God. And so there's no turning back for me, Jesus. There's no turning back. I started by saying the biggest question that every person has to answer is who is Jesus? And so this is my question to you all again today. Who is Jesus? What is your answer to that? C.S. Lewis, as I said at the beginning, wrote these words and this is how he says it. When he came to this place of realizing that the only option open to him was that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. He says this, I gave in, admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. And he says, I was the most reluctant convert. There's a lady in the church that I grew up in, had a similar story and she often told it, Um, I often heard her tell it, that 
God orchestrated a series of events where she felt her life was backed up against the wall and she had nowhere else left to run and hide. And it was at that point, as, a, as someone who was not interested in Jesus at all, she knelt down and worshipped him and totally tra- he totally transformed her life. And so this morning, I want to give you all the opportunity to pray with me. So would you do that, please? Would you pray with me? And that answer to this question, who is Jesus? This prayer answers that question. And I'm going to pray it phrase by phrase and invite you to repeat it with me. Jesus, I bow before you as Lord. And surrender my whole life to you. Jesus, I receive you as the bread of heaven. The only one who can give eternal life. Jesus, thank you that you suffered and died in my place. And that your blood cleanses me. And frees me from sin. Thank you that I am now free to love, worship and obey you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus, you are my Lord. And I willingly submit completely to you today and forever. Amen.